Billionaire Mark Zuckerberg is pitching a guaranteed minimum income for everyone. No work requirement, you'll get a check just for being alive. Universal basic income. An idea that almost no one had heard of just a few years ago is now one of the most fashionable concepts in progressive politics. We should explore ideas like universal basic income to make sure that everyone has a cushion to try new ideas. The reason why I'm attracted to this is it speaks to what kind of society do we want to be. With automation increasing and wages stagnating, the theory is that giving everyone a set amount of money each year will liberate them to do what they want with their lives and keep them out of poverty. But often, it's when an idea is on the way up that people start to scrutinize it. So you might say, well, we have a guaranteed annual income for people, which I think is a horrible solution, by the way, but it addresses the right problem. Some people think universal basic income is a utopian impossibility. Others think it's just plain dangerous. So, there's a proposal for another solution, universal basic services. Instead of giving people money, why not guarantee all the public services they need to live a full life? Would universal basic services work better than a basic income? That's the question on the Weekly Economics podcast today. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith. Stay with us. Okay, so we've got some special guests for our discussion this week. First up, new Economics Foundation principal fellow and legend, Anna Koo, who is a fan of universal basic services. Hi, Anna. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Lovely to have you. I haven't had, had you on the podcast before. This is lovely. And we're also welcoming onto the pod for the first time coordinator of Basic Income UK, Barb Jacobson, who's unsurprisingly making the argument for basic income. Hi, Hi. indeed. Thanks Hi, very Barb. much. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to dive straight into our main discussion this week, um, which is on universal basic income, sometimes called UBI, or universal basic services, sometimes called UBS, I think. Is it ever? Has anyone ever said that? It's a very new way of describing what we're in favour of. Okay. But um, it has been called that as a way of making it clear that it's a kind of a counter argument to UBI. But it's not generally described that way. We would talk about public services, more and better public services. Okay. So can we agree for the purpose of this podcast, we'll refer to it as UBS, but with that caveat? Yeah. Okay, there's nodding and agreement. Okay, great. So if we have to choose which should we choose is is the question this week. So first up, Barb, can you outline to us what a universal basic income is? Sorry, my voice is very bad today because I had laryngitis yesterday. Mm -hmm. A universal basic income is a payment, a regular payment to each individual without conditions, without work conditions, without a means test, and which is non-withdrawable. That is to say, it's not taxable. And um, in some definitions, it's you can't garnish it for debt. Mm. In terms of level, there's there's a big conversation happening globally about uh, whether basic income should be uh, high enough to live on or whether it's okay if it's just a regular payment, which is smaller, that kind of thing. I also would like to say, I mean, I really don't think that the two that ba- that service public services and basic income are in opposition to each other, mm-hmm. um, and I can talk more about that later. Awesome. So, what are some of the problems that you think UBI solves, Bob? Well, just speaking from personal experience, um, basic income makes makes it much easier for couples to figure out how to do childcare. For example, mm-hmm. that's my personal experience. I was um, I was on income support. And my ex-partner was uh, sometimes sometimes on the dole, sometimes doing dispatch writing. Um, and 
but the fact that both of us could have some money available and both of us had a secure place to live, which is where those services come in, uh, meant that uh, we were able to share the child. I mean, when we split up, we were able to share the, the care of our child mm. um, quite equitably. So we were able to, um, you know, have him, uh, me, three days a week, him, you know, and mm-hmm. my ex-partner four days a week. Mm-hmm. And we were able to come to that, con- you know, we were able to come to that agreement on the basis that we both had, we both had the resources to be able to take the time to actually look after him. Mm. You know, for me, that's, you know, that's kind of my personal reason for really, really supporting basic income. And mm-hmm. that kind of experience of that has is, is been really key. Wonderful. So. Um, Anna, what are some of your thoughts on uh, UBI? Well, I'm now confused because I thought uh, we had never had UBI and you were talking about a situation where this enabled you to do these things, but we haven't had it. So I'm not quite sure how that works. What I had was like a UBI, I think it would say. What, in this country? Yeah, income support for for Ah, single mothers. Okay, well, we're all in favour of um, what I would call a guaranteed minimum income, which is making sure that nobody falls below the poverty line, which I think is a is a very different proposition from the idea of universal basic income, which is that you you free everybody up, you give it to everybody, and um, and the the whole cost and the machinery that's required to introduce something like that is very different. Now, I'm not suggesting that. a guaranteed minimum income is a is a simple thing, but it, it in, involves some means testing. Not everybody gets it. You get it. You get some money to help you if you fall, um, if you can't earn money, and if you are you don't have any other source of income. And that is a good idea. And it has been eroded in this country, and oh, it needs sure. to be yeah. treasured and enhanced. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, well, there are several problems with. Sorry, can the, I just say one thing about why why that's different? Um, and the, the thing that I had to deal with, okay, while I was on income support was people was people constantly telling me that I should go and get a job, even though, you know, I was not only looking, you know, looking after my kid, I was also doing a lot of community work and I was, a lot, you know, um, doing quite a bit of organizing around housing and health issues. With, with a UBI, it would be much more recognized that people are doing, you know, the kind of work that people do, which is really important to society functioning would actually be much more recognised and and valued. Well, I agree with you absolutely about valuing unpaid work, and childcare is obviously one of them. Sure. Um, We could also consider the value of um, childcare services, where children are looked after together in in a social setting, and um, which we don't have paid for by the state at the moment because uh, the money apparently isn't there. Now, the proposition about universal basic income is that people get enough money to make them feel free enough to do whatever they like. Now, you can only, which is, would be transformatory, but you could only do that if it was at a sufficient level. So, and we know that it has been calculated that if it were at the level of, say, a job seeker's allowance, which is really pretty small, that is about £73 a week, um, it would cost £250 billion a year and about more than a third of, or about a third of all public spending. So if instead we used that money, those resources, to strengthen and extend public services, we would do several things. We would get much better value for money. And we would also 
strengthen what I would call the collective ideal or solidarity, the idea that we flourish as a society, not if we simply all have enough money as individuals, although I think that is important, but because we share risks and we pool our resources through the taxation system so that we can pay for healthcare, education, childcare, preferably social care, and all the other services that we need um, in order to live our lives and flourish. So now, some advocates, including Barb, clearly, of UBI, would say, well, it's fine, let's have both. But the problem is the scale of investment of shared resources, money, that would need to be used in order to make universal basic income anything more than a a tiny floor above which we would still need all the same conditional benefits that we we have to get today. So it would, would only allow that. The other thing is that it puts, it creates a single lever that government has, that it could pull one way or the other and affect all citizens. So it gives huge amount of power with a single stroke to government. Now, I know that government supports, uh, is the one that controls the amount of money we spend on public services, but it's much more complicated and multifaceted and far more difficult for a government that came in and said, we want to change all this to simply take it all away, as we have seen over the last 10 years with, um, you know, the austerity drive and what it's done to healthcare and education and so on. We still have those services. So it's easier to defend and it supports the collective ideal and it brings people together and it makes us all help each other. So that's what I think we should be focusing on. And I think the the UBI is is politically counterproductive because it, it has attracted a lot of support from people with a lot of political energy who don't seem to have thought through the implications of making it work in its own terms, which is giving people enough money so they really could make the kind of choices. Can I say that there are a lot of misunderstandings there of, of what I what I conceive of as basic income and, and the things that it does, and also of the evidence of the pilots um, if you look at, um, say, where the where the best uh, basic income pilot was done in India, where they did a saturation test of the of whole villages and they compared villages that got it to villages that didn't get it, um, you, what you saw there was a real uh, decrease in the social inequalities, in the sense that and let me finish, please. Um, that the you know the girls came out of themselves, the people with disabilities were were able to to uh, participate more in in society. They were accepted more by their families. That's something that actually wasn't looked for in the pilot. What they were really trying to look for was what kind of economic... What, what kind a, of economic... This is a country without a welfare state. Let me finish, state. please. So Let there me are finish, no, please. There are Let no finish, public please. services. Let me finish, please. I've, heard the, okay. I've seen the video. I, I'm going to go on to the Canadian pilot uh, in Manitoba in, in the 70s, which was not a full basic income. It was a income. okay? That's for sure. Um, but in you know in that situation, you saw um, kids stay in education much longer. You saw a, a big drop in um, at hospital admissions for both domestic violence and for accidents. And people really felt it. You know, when when you talk to people about it, they you know they they felt that the shame of of claiming went away. 
I, I mean, there's a really, really big kind of shame of, of claim, you know, of claiming benefits and dealing with the bureaucracy, all right? And it's not just, I know it's got an awful lot worse in the last 10 years, all right? I work, you know, I'm a welfare rights advisor, okay, because so I deal with this all the time. But um, even when I was, I myself was on income support, all right, um, information wasn't given to me. I was not, you know, the proper information was not given to me about what I could claim. It was, you know, and it was, you know, people were always asking me, where's your job? They never, they didn't, they didn't count the work that I was doing already. That I'm is just a gonna, separate I mean, argument, I really think. I mean, it's, it's not that, yes, we would both, I'm sure, equally like to have a, a system where people are not victimized and um, treated like you're describing, by the income support system. And it could be a lot better than it is. And it is certainly right that no one should not have enough money to live on. But the, the I mean, the what we cannot do is assume that this can run alongside what we really need much more because it's much better value for money and it's much I better for society as a whole. Can I just finish, please? Can I finish? So we, in order to um, have the kind of society where everybody's basic needs are met and where we can all participate in society and build a sense of solidarity and build and support and defend the collective ideal, which is really important for all of us, we need to um, invest in more and better and extended public services. And that's the idea behind UBI. Now, the difference in value for money is phenomenal because you have economies of scale and all sorts of other reasons. And the, the, the estimated cost is far, far smaller. And yet you get a much, much bigger uh, social dividend, if you like, so that people can live their lives, they can go on and have more education. And I do not think that if we want to pursue greater gender gender equality, which we I'm sure we both do, if we want people to feel supported and free to live their lives as they want, what they need is they need healthcare, they need education, they need childcare, they need social care, and it is possible to have. But some and of us they want to do childcare for ourselves. We want I want to, to, I want to ask two very children. specific questions. And I want to ask choice. the first question. I want to ask you, Anna, mm. which might be seem like very simple, but is so UBS. It sounds to me like what you're describing already exists in effect and I, and I feel like that might be a bit consu- c- confusing for listeners like obviously we have the NHS we have education we pay for these things out of our taxes so what's the difference between what we have now and what you're advocating well in a nutshell it's that they are under threat mm-hmm. they are being eroded by a, a range of, of government policies and actions and um, and the idea which is actually not my own idea but mm. developed by a team at uh, of economists at UCL is that you could extend public services so you don't just have healthcare and education, you have housing services, you have free transport services, you have better services to make sure that everybody has the food that they need. Now, it's a, it's a, they're flying kites. It's a, a very interesting uh, way of looking at things. But the idea at the bottom of it all is that we need to have better and stronger and broader, more wide-reaching public services so that we work together as a society and not as just as individual consumers. I think the 
uh, ideology behind UBI, if you scratch the surface, is, is essentially neoliberal. It says about the market, it's about individuals, it's about choice. Bob, I know you've got probably a lot of things you want to come back on. One thing in particular I wanted to ask about was just, so some of the things that Anna was saying, critiques I've heard before of UBI, that it is kind of quite an individual approach to a collective problem. Um, and this, you know, another critique is that it would be going to people who didn't need it in the same amount it would be going to people who who did and things like that. So could you speak to those things specifically? Yeah, I mean, in terms of it's an individual Sorry, say that again. So An individual <laughs> solution to a collective problem. Right, individual solution to a collective problem. I would actually say that it's the opposite, mm -hmm. that actually forcing people into the labor market, okay, forces them to compete against each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would actually say that, that basic income is, is necessary to get to the kind of public services that Anna's talking about. And so because, what because, and this is, you know, really because that... Um, at the moment, what I see, all right, in the job I do is a massive, massive crisis in time and in money, all right? People don't have time to look after themselves. They don't have, you know, they don't have time to look after their kids. They don't have time to look after their elders, and they would like to, all right? And that's the attraction, even of a small amount, all right, that, you know, even the 70 amount would actually make a massive difference for the people. There's, you know, currently there's 60% of people don't claim um, uh, job seekers allowance, for example, or what's the equivalent of job seekers allowance, and it's about to go way down with universal credit. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I really feel that that actually, you know, by giving people money without conditions, um, it actually makes it, you know, yeah, okay, some, you know, wealthy people who may not need it get it, will get it, but then they will be paying back in tax far more than they'll be getting in basic income. And the other thing that that people don't also consider is the fact that even in wealthy households, income distribution is not equal. One thing that was really interesting in the Indian pilot study was that the richer families, at first, they didn't go get it. They didn't, they didn't come forward for it. But after a couple months, the women in those families came forward for it. Mm. All right. You know, so that to me says quite a lot about what, you know, what, what this kind of thing can do. Mm. The money, my, I'm just trying to say my experience of being on income support was that when people had all, you know, when people were in the same situation, knowing what we all had, it was actually co very conducive Bob, to working together. I've, mm -hmm. I've okay. been unemployed. I've been on the dole. Sure. It was easy back in the day oh, when no, you could yeah. go on. The, well, easier. I would agree. If what you say is when you're out of work or you can't work for whatever reason, right. you go and you, you can apply for money and get it. That's what I would call a minimum income guarantee. Quite a different matter. So I, I would agree with you about that. Let's just get this India thing out of the way. The effects that a UBI experiment would have in India, where there is no welfare state at all, no existing public That's services. Not exactly Wait true. a minute. That's not true. It, it, there's Sorry. nothing, nothing <laughs> comparable to what we've got. I've seen the the evidence from India, and I think it is very misleading. So let's get that. But let's talk about your point, which is a very valid one: is that people need more time. And one of the things that we've been doing at the New Economics Foundation is developing the case for a shorter working week. And indeed, absolutely. Uh, but I, we I always say, that. I mean, so um, you want yeah. shorter working hours as the standard for men and women so that they can share uh, childcare and other responsibilities. Very important. And you put that side by side with a campaign to increase the, uh, the income that individuals have, and you do that through a higher living wage, a guaranteed minimum income for those who can't work. You can have credits for people who care that can be paid back in terms of a, a 
pension rights. There are all sorts of ways that you can do this. But, quite complicated. But UBI, anyway. given to everyone, will yeah. subsidise low wages. It will increase the opportunities of employers to exploit workers because they know that they can get the money anyway. So why should they bother to pay more? They will not do anything to help trade unions strengthen their bargaining power. They will uh, not disturb a hair on the head of modern capitalism. I actually feel quite differently mm. about this, all right? I mean, the current, Just before we yeah. jump in, I just want to ask all one right. follow-up question. Sure. So just um, coming back to UBS again, all the services mm. that we've t- been talking about, some people have discussed, you know, maybe food being part of that or other things. Like what is decided, what is a service and, and what would be covered by that? Well, I think this is an open debate mm. because it's only just beginning. And they've said, well, what would it cost to make sure that everybody, for example, um, had a, could have free, free bus transport, mm. th- which would in itself be a transformation. Mm-hmm. And they've looked at... Um, a, housing and they've looked at food but I think with food they were looking at what would it cost to make sure that everybody you know could get food that they needed if they didn't have any from a food bank so some of those services were why um, perpetuate food banks well I would no I wouldn't but this is not the point the point is not whether food banks are a good idea I agree with you Mm. that we, we would like to get rid of them but what they're doing is they're trying to say what is it that people need and what's the best way to help people get what they need Mm. by pooling their resources and sharing the risks and working together. Mm. So alongside um, some kind of minimum income guarantee, which is important, these services are what they are looking at. So we have to think about all these ways in which we need to meet our needs. And some of them can be met much more efficiently by um, introducing or strengthening public services of one kind and and another than simply saying, here's a little bit of money that everybody has. And indeed, the most people who got it would not need it. It would be a way of getting rid of the stigma and the complexity of claiming benefits, yes, but it's the wrong answer to a very real problem. Bob, so a question that I have for you just following on from that is, are there there ways in which that some variation on a UBI could work together with the kind of the UBS proposal, albeit an element of that, rather than being the solution in itself? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've already mentioned housing. I mean, you know, it depends on whether we're talking about this particular universal basic services idea or whether it's the broader, it's broader public services, all right? I mean, I think there are huge flaws in the in universal basic, you know, in this particular view of universal basic services, they're not quite universal, um, you know, so there would be some extra cost, you know, in terms of like using those costs as as a way to compare that to basic income, all right? I think it's, it they're kind of chalk and cheese. I mean, and I would also say the, you know, this idea about about food, I mean, they, they, they refer in the report to the immensely popular um, Meals on Wheels scheme. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I work with with pensioners and Meals on Wheels is like the kind of last thing you do when you can't, you really can't afford anything so else. The idea right? would be to make it better. That's the oh, main, I, I would love to. Improve the service. No, but that's, you know, you could make it better for the people who really, really need it. But hopefully, but see what's happened with we, with Meals on Wheels, and we probably agree here. <laughs> okay. I think we probably do. Yes. Okay, what's happened with Meals on Wheels, you know, and all kinds of care services that happen in the home is that they've 
they've got completely, you know, they've stopped being actual public services and they've and they've started to be yeah, that's run what by we need agencies. And so there is no kind of neighborhood coordination. But again, mm-hmm. I would say that with a basic income, and I would go for a higher basic income, all right? You know, Howard Reed also did some figures a few years ago about a higher level basic income that would... I think the net cost, if you look at net cost and not just the overall cost, but the net cost that is what's paid out and then what's what's got in in terms of taxes, um, was something like $31 billion, all right, which is actually not that much, all right? And so these figures, all right, that we see about, well, you know, UBI will cost this much and this is, you know, this, you know, this is claiming to be revenue neutral. Um, some UBI schemes claim to be revenue neutral. I just think that's a kind of lack of ambition, really. You know, mm-hmm. that when we're talking on the streets to people about basic income, which it is an idea that really does capture people's imagination in a way that services don't. Mm-hmm. So, Anna, I, <laughs> you know that you have lots of things you wanted to say. We, mm-hmm. we are really running out of time. So we wanted to give you just two minutes, one of, them, one of those minutes, so to say all the things that you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other minute is just to answer the question of, particularly around UBS or the, the public services, mm-hmm. is... Is it realistic? I know a lot of the UBI gets bashed a lot for being like very pie in the sky. It's never actually going to happen. Is UBS something that's a bit more attainable or, or is it another kind of big idea that we can't reach? Well, one of the problems with UBI is it's kind of silver bullet. Listen, this is a great idea. Everybody, it's a simple idea. Economists love it because they can reduce it to numbers and then it seems, you know, they can. It's so. It's, but life is complicated. And this, uh, the UBS idea is a thought experiment with some good uh, calculations behind it, which say, what if everybody had uh, access to public transport as well as health and uh, social care and education and, and so on? What would, how could it be done? So that it's really saying this is a better way of meeting everybody's needs and a more f- efficient and effective way of meeting people's needs than just a, a transfer of, of cash. And they, they do say that explicitly. And that, so I would hate to put forward this idea as an alternative silver bullet because it isn't. So, But the idea that really matters is that we need to defend the collective ideal, the way in which we work together to create a society where all our needs are met. And I do not think... By giving everybody, everybody, a tiny little bit of money, it will cause that transformation. And I think it'll be much better if, I certainly don't think that we would find enough money if we're going to spend something like a third of all public spending on UBI, that we'd be able to do anything other than continue to shrink uh, the health service and the education service, so and all the other things, and not get any of the other expansion and strengthening of public services. So you can forget some kind of universal childcare service, for example, that would be a really good idea. So now I know that we can always say you can get more money. Yes, you cannot pay for Trident. You cannot do this. You can reduce spending on the military. All the things that progressives say all the time. Yes, there are other ways of finding money. That is true. But if there were other money, I would rather it was spent on greatly expanding and strengthening these collective services. And also, sorry to introduce widely new matter at the end of this, but we need (laughs) a sustainable infrastructure. We Mm. need to prepare for mitigating carbon emissions, reducing our energy output. There's a, a 
big spending ask there to get the kind of sustainable economy we need for the future. So I would rather spend that money on uh, better services and a, a greener future than on this uh, idea of giving individuals money whether they need it or not. Okay, so we obviously could talk about this for the rest of the evening, but unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, we are out of time. Right. Um, but thank you so much, Anna and Barb, for coming to discuss UBI and UBS with me and everything in between. I feel like I know a lot more. Um, okay. I feel a little bit more confused, but also like quite hopeful about that there's, there's such wonderful ideas even being thought about and tested um, as an alternative to what we have right now, which I think we'll all agree is quite a mess. This is the last in the current series of the Week at Economics podcast. But we'll be back soon with some new episodes for you. Your shares and reviews on Apple Podcasts have really helped us reach more listeners this series. So if you do like what we've been doing, do us a favour and share our episodes on social media or give us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. The Weekly Economics Podcast is produced by James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you again soon. <laughs>